So that little boy, as precious as he is, needs to be disciplined. He's a bit unruly, a little mouthy, and in case you missed it, he was trying to control his mom to be the boss of her, trying to tell her what to do. I want to talk to you tonight about our emotions, because sometimes my emotions try to do the same thing to me. Listen to me, Ria. And the Lord is competing. No, you listen to me. Sometimes my emotions try to boss me around. They try to control my life. Sometimes they can be unruly like that little boy and demand attention, demanding to be front and center. And I find myself in the same predicament as Linda, trying to reason and instead of disciplining and quieting them. And that's what I'd like to talk to you about tonight. I'd like to speak to you on the subject of calming our souls. If you have your Bible, you can open them to Psalm chapter 131. Psalm chapter 131. And I'm going to read the whole passage, but would you just pray with me first? Lord, I can't get that phrase out of my head that dry bones need to come to life. And I thank you that you are still in that business, that the power of God can bring life even to dead bones. So I pray that tonight you would breathe life into us through your word, that you would bring it alive. Father God, that you would just penetrate our hearts and our minds with your word. I pray for rhema revelation. I'm, I'm not asking, Lord, for just logos. I don't want just words on a page. I'm asking, Father, that you would shine your light on your word and that you would bring such revelation, such understanding, that, that the men and women in this room would be able to make immediate application to their lives and would be changed by it. Change me, Lord, I pray. Give us insight and wisdom as we look at your word tonight, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. David Paulson has written an exceptional article about this psalm entitled, Peace Be Still. And in it, he writes, God speaks to us in many different ways. When you hear, now it came to pass, settle down for a good story. When God asserts, I am, trust his self-revelation. When he promises, I will, bank on it. When he tells you, you shall and you shall not, do what he says. Psalm 131 is yet in a different vein. Most of it is holy eavesdropping. You and I have intimate access to the inner life of someone who has learned composure. And then he invites you and I to come along. Psalm 131 is a show and tell for how to become peaceful inside. So let's look at it together. Psalm 131, beginning in verse 1. Lord, my heart is not haughty, nor my eyes lofty. Neither do I concern myself with great matters, nor with things too profound for me. Surely I have calmed and quieted my soul. Like a weaned child with his mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forever. Paulson goes on to say in his article, this person that we just read about, David, is quiet on the inside because he has learned the only true and lasting composure. He shares the details of what peace that passes all understanding is truly like. 
Amazingly, this man is not noisy, and I like that term. He's not noisy on the inside. He isn't busy, busy, busy. He's not obsessed. He's not on edge. The to-do lists and pressures to achieve don't consume him. Ambition doesn't churn inside of him. Failure and despair don't haunt him. Anxiety isn't spinning him into a free fall. He isn't preoccupied with thinking up the next thing he wants to say. Regrets don't corrode his inner experience. Irritation and dissatisfaction don't devour him. He's not stumbling through a minefield of blind loggings and fear. He is quiet. And I wonder if anyone here tonight can testify that they are quiet on the inside, that they don't have any noises competing for their attention, demanding to be heard like an unruly child. He says, my heart is not proud. I have calmed and quieted my soul. He's talking to us about his heart or his his soul. We've talked about this many times in this study and how the, the soul or the heart is the mind, the will, and the emotions. We see David speak of his heart or his soul in another psalm, in Psalm 42, 5, if you want to flip over there. Psalm 42, 5, he says, why are you so cast down, my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, yet will I praise him. The ESV says, why are you so cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? But I especially liked the voice. It says, why am I so overwrought? Why am I so disturbed? Why can't I just hope in God? Despite all my emotions, I will believe and praise the one who saves me and is my life. David is talking to his soul. Sometimes we need to talk to, to our soul. He says, why are you so downcast, oh my soul? Put your hope in God. Direct your, your gaze not to what's happening in your life, not to your emotions, not to your, your, your mind thinking thoughts that are not good. Put your hope, your trust in God. We've talked many times about man and how he's a three-part being. And Don, I think we have some circles. Man is composed of a body, a soul, and a spirit. We've used this illustration many, many times here. Some people believe that man is a bipart being. I, I could make an argument for that from Scripture. Not a good one, but I could make an argument for it. But I personally believe that we are created in the image of God. And he is a triune God. How many of you know that? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He's three in one. And, and you and I are created in his image and in his likeness. And so it would make sense that we are three parts as well. And so that's why I believe that we're tripart beings. I think it's also confirmed in Scripture in 1 Thessalonians 5.23. It says, And the peace of God himself sanctify you wholly, and may your spirit, soul, and body be preserved and complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus. So we see the three parts there, body, soul, and spirit. I believe that's the makeup of man. And I believe David is aware of that when he's writing this psalm. He knows that he is a physical part of his his life, and that's the body. He knows that he has a soul or a heart, his mind, his will, his emotions. And he also knows that he's a spirit being. Uh, John 4.24 says, God is a spirit. God is spirit. And those who worship him will worship him in 
spirit and in truth. And so if God is a spirit, I'm created in his image and in his likeness, guess what I am? A spirit being as well. I have a spirit being as well. And I know that because the, the Bible says that, that, that a man, a natural man, is born with a hard and unregenerated heart. A heart that's not amendable to, to God or to the things of God. And so what needs to happen? We need to be born again or born from above. And, and Ezekiel uh, 36 says that we need a new heart. And, and he says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart uh, and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and, and do them. He says, I'm going to give you a new spirit. You have a hard, unregenerated spirit, and I'm going to give you a new one. That's why when we come to Christ, how many of you had this experience? You give your life to Christ. It's real. It's authentic. You really laid down your life to Christ, and, and you're so excited about, about the, the new life that you have, and you go home, and the next thing you know, you're still bitter. You're still nasty. You still have a mouth on you. You're, you're still uh, obsessed or jealous, and, and you think, what happened? I thought I, I became a new man. The old is gone, and the new has come. Uh, why? Why does that happen? Because what got sealed for the day of redemption? Your spirit man. He became new. But what else are you dealing with? Your soul, your mind, your will, your emotions. That's why the Bible says that we are transformed, not by coming to Christ. That's a transformation. But how do we get transformed? By the renewing of our minds. That's why we have to be purposeful to get this mind, our will and our emotions, renewed and in line with the Word of God. That's why scripture memorization is so important. That's why declarations, I'm telling you, I'm going to return to it. There were a number of years in Bible study that I opened up the, the study every Monday night with declarations that I made you repeat. And I did that because I wanted to get those words in you. I have declarations I speak over my grandchildren. I've got lists of declarations I speak over those children every single day. I spoke it over my own children when they were growing up because I believe God's word. How many of you believe God's word? But here's what happens. We get this thought that obsesses and, and, and we start believing a lie that the enemy plants in our mind and we start believing that's truth instead of God's word. And that's why we have to have God's word ready. It's a sword. It penetrates even what? Come on, you should know the scripture. It penetrates even soul and spirit, bone and marrow. It gives that, joints and marrow. It gives that illustration, but it says his word is so sharp, it'll penetrate that soul and spirit. It'll get to the depths of, of your struggle. So David knew that he had a soul, that, that the soul perceives things in the psychological realm. That's why we're so drawn away by our emotions. We, we get all psychological. And, and, and actually, in the Greek, that word for soul is, is suke. It's where we get our word psychology, actually. And so uh, it's our personality, it's who we are, it's, it's the way we think and reason and consider and remember, it's, it's, it's where we experience emotions like happiness, love, sadness, anger, grief, compassion, hatred, all of those things are in our soul. And that's why we have to keep that soul renewed. So the, the, the spirit is sealed for the day of redemption. Nothing can get in that spirit. 
but the soul has to be transformed by renewing your mind with the Word of God. And then the body, of course, is the external part of our organ, and it's how we relate to each other. You can see me tonight because I have a body. Thank the Lord every day, almost every day, Leslie comes for prayer, and we make declarations before we go into prayer. One of the things that we declare almost daily is, what, Leslie? <laughs> that, my, <laughs> that my eyes are not growing dim and my youthful vigor is not diminishing. That my body is not decaying. I'm not, I'm not dealing with that decay. I need a strong body. I need a strong mind. I have the mind of Christ. I, 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 do you see? Those declarations, I am telling my soul some things. I'm not letting my soul boss me around and say, listen to me, Linda, you're going to do this. No, I'm not. I'm going to quiet that thing, and I'm going to quiet it with the word of God. See, some of you are being tormented and harassed by, by thought patterns that are unhealthy, by, by things that people have said about you, done to you, that just like it just immobilizes you, and it's because you are being led astray by your emotions by your soul and you need to get that soul renewed in the word of God you need to silence and calm that soul with the word of God and 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 live in a place of rest and peace in him that's what this psalm is all about so the recovery bible says it has a note and it says our body exists in and contacts the tangible things of the material world it uses our five senses uh, but the spirit it is the Spirit of God uh, that in that Spirit, that's where God dwells. That's where His Holy Spirit dwells. In the soul is where our self or the flesh dwells. In the body is where the physical senses dwell. I smell, I see, I feel. Do, do you see? Um, and so God wants to take possession of our spirit. And so when we give our life to him, we, 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 he becomes Lord of our life. He comes in and takes up residency within us in that spirit, sealed for the day of redemption. However, he doesn't want to just stay there. That's why as many as are led by the spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Don't be controlled by, the, the mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life. Now be ye controlled by the spirit, not by the flesh. And, and so God doesn't want to stay in that center part of your life. He, he wants to ooze out into the soul and into your body. That's why I can make those confessions over my body. I'm like, I belong to the Lord. This is the temple of the Holy Spirit. My eyesight is not growing dim, and my youthful vigor is not diminishing. I have the mind of Christ. I am made new. I, I am a new creation, and my mind is at peace. I make those declarations all the time. He perfects everything that concerns me. I don't have to have any concerns. And, and so we have got to be purposeful about renewing our minds so that that soul gets transformed and calmed. And David knew that. Sanctification, you know that when, when we come to Christ and we give our life to him, we are justified. It's the three tenses of salvation. If you come to Friday morning, you, you know this. You've heard me say it. Justification, sanctification, glorification. I have been saved. I'm being saved. I will be saved. You say, well, how does that work, Rhea? Because when I gave my life to Christ, the old is gone and the new has come. Christ came in and took up residency within me. And, and now when he looks at me, see, all before all that he saw before was my sin. 
Now when he looks at me, Christ lives within me, God sees the blood of Jesus over my life, and it's just as if I've never sinned. I'm justified. However, <laughs> so many Christians like to stop there. Oh, Rhea, it's by grace that you've been saved. It's not by works so that you can't boast. That's exactly right. I've been justified by grace. However, that same grace that saved me, I have been saved, I'm being saved, I will be saved, is now sanctifying me. It's now empowering me. One of my favorite definitions of grace is God's enabling power. That same grace that saved me, that snatched me out of the muck and the mire and put my feet back on solid ground, that it was not by anything I did. I didn't deserve it. I, I, I did nothing to earn it. I, he just, I, did. I was the last person on earth who should have gotten it. I was saved by grace. But now that same grace is enabling and empowering me to say no to ungodliness, to say yes to God. And that's the sanctification process. And the sanctification process happens when that soul is renewed, when my mind is renewed, when I start walking in obedience to God's word. And then lastly, we'll be sanctified in body. I'm being saved. I, I, I am saved. I'm being saved. I will be saved is, is glorification. When I get to heaven, I'm going to have a new body. I, I, I'm not going to, I'm saved, Davey. Help me with this one. I'm saved from the penalty of sin, that's justification. I'm saved from the power of sin, that's sanctification. And someday I'm going to be saved and delivered and set free and transformed uh, totally and completely from the presence of sin. And that's glorification. Is that right? Um, and so that, that's the process. So 1 first, first Corinthians, I think, says that... Uh, hmm. Romans 8, 11 says, but if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells within you. And Philippians 3, 20 says, but our citizenship is heaven and we eagerly wait a savior from there who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that he will, they will be like his glorious bodies. So in the meantime, God wants us to manifest and express him to a lost and dying world. But we have to be totally saturated and sensitive to his Holy Spirit in order to do that. It, this spirit part of our life needs to be given access to fill us so completely, so saturate our whole being that we can win a world for him. But here's what happens. Instead of giving the spirit power, instead of enabling the spirit to empower us, what do we empower? Our emotions. I feel like you are mean to me and I want to just stay away from you or I'm insecure and I'm threatened by you come on let me just tell you who you are in Christ don't you ever let somebody make you feel insecure you are who he says you are you are fearfully and wonderfully made you are created in his image and his in his likeness before you were ever born God knew you and he put a gifting and a call in your life that only you can fulfill don't you ever take a back seat to somebody don't you ever do that and it's not a prideful thing it's you understanding who you are in Christ and when I'm insecure if I'm insecure I, 
did you hear this man play the piano? If, if, if I was insecure and threatened by Joe playing the piano, that, then I, the body wouldn't work together because I need him to play the piano. I can't sing a note on key, let alone play a piano. But let me preach. That music will bring me into the presence and I will preach 20 times harder because he's using his gift, I'm using my gift, and that's how the body of Christ works. But if I'm threatened by him, I'm going to say, Joe, you need to just stay at home. You can't come play the piano here. That's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. But that's what we do because we empower our emotions. She gave me a dirty look. I'm not going to go near her. I heard she gossiped about me. Love overcomes a multitude of wrongdoing. You love that person. You ooze love out at them. Good overcomes evil. Evil does not ever overcome evil. It just precipitates it. I get on it. But we allow our emotions. We allow our emotions to control us. You listen to me, Linda. There could not have been. I was praying this morning. Leslie and I got together early, and I was praying. I said, Lord, I have all this message, but I do not have an illustration to start out. Can you give me an illustration to start out? And he immediately popped that, that story in my mind. And, and I'm like, that's what it does. My emotions, when, when, it, when my emotions begin to rise, they, they want me to get on board with them. Do you know that? They want to lead me. The, the Bible says, look at this word. This is honestly, if you look it up, my heart is not haughty, nor my eyes lofty. What that means is I'm not prideful. And it doesn't mean I'm not puffed up and arrogant. It means that we're talking to the Lord here. I don't need all the answers, Lord. I'm not going to tell you how to run my life. I'm not going to tell you how to do life. I, I'm not going to dictate to you. I'm, I'm not going to be prideful. It's not going to be all about me. Can I tell you how much of life today is all about me? I want to be comfortable. I want to be well taken care of. I want everybody to like me. I, I, I want to be blessed. I'm blessed and highly favored. And, and that's what I want. But it is not all about me. The, the Bible says that Jesus came and laid down his life. And he says, anybody who follows me will deny themselves, pick up their cross, and follow me. It's a place of death. It's a place of sacrifice. I no longer live, but Christ lives within me. I am not prideful. It is not about me. It is all about you, Lord. It is all about you. And nor do I, look at this word, concern myself with great matters. That word concern, do you know what it means? To be led away to be led away astray. You see, when we start concerning ourselves with great matters, Lord, what are you going to do about my, my prodigal son? What are you going to do about my husband who I can't even stand to look at right now? What are you going to do about our finances? What are you going to do about this ministry? What, what are you going to do about my health? When you concern yourself with matters that are too big for you, he is God, you're not. What you do is you get led astray by those feelings. Why did you do this, Lord? You don't love me. I don't understand why you would allow this in my life. You're concerning yourself with matters too big for you. It's too big for you to even understand. The ways of God, Leah, this is your scripture, that their foolishness, to, the, the, the foolishness of God is wiser than the wisdom of man. Do, do you understand? The foolishness of God is wiser than the wisdom of man. I think I have a right to understand what God is doing when the foolishness of God is wiser than any wisdom I could ever have, and I think I can instruct him with what to do with my life. 
I can't concern myself with matters too lofty for me. God, you got to handle this, and I'm going to leave it in your capable hands, and let's get on with what you want me to do. Let's manifest you to a lost and dying world. He says, I don't concern myself with great matters. I'm not led astray by them, uh, nor with things too profound for me. I, there's things I don't understand about God I'll never understand about God. But I'm not going to concern myself with them. I'm not going to let them lead me astray. I am going to put my hope in God. I'm going to rest in him that he has me, that he loves me, and, and that's all that I need to know. It's all that I need to know. I'm not going to concern myself with those other things. I saw a sign uh, not long ago, and it says, and I, I've got to find it here because it was, it was good. I, I loved it, but I'm having a hard time, obviously, finding it. It says... Good morning, this is God. I will be handling all your problems today. I will not need your help. So relax and have a great day. Do you, do you believe that? Do you believe that he is capable, that he loves you, that, that he will perfect everything that concerns you? You see, when you concern yourself with matters too profound, too lofty for you, you get led astray by them. But that's what happens. Our, our, our emotions begin to rise because the enemy who comes to steal, kill, and destroy, he whispers, he causes things to happen in our life to, to trigger those emotions. And he gets those emotions to rise at just the right time and he wants us to get on board so he can lead us astray. But just because those feelings and those emotions rise up within you does not mean you need to get on board. You have an option. I've set before you life and death, choose. Choose life. You, you can say no to those things. You can calm and quiet your soul. You can calm and quiet your mind, your will, your emotion. But you have to choose to do that. You can't say, listen to me, Linda, and argue with your emotions to try to reason with them. They won't be reasonable. Emotions are not reasonable. Your logic is not. Dave is the most logical, rational person I've ever known. When it came to the things of the spirit, it was a, it was a, a stumbling block for him because he was logical. He was rational. He had to choose to bypass that rational, logical thinking in order to get to the spirit within him. And, and that's what happens with our emotions. I'm an emotional being. The enemy knows that all he has to do is create the right circumstances to press in on me, and, and my emotions will begin to rise, and I'll hop on board every single time. But I'm going to choose to say, Lord, I don't understand this. I'm not going to make this about me. I'm dying to self. I'm not concerning myself with that thing. You have it. You're God. I'm not. And, and I'm, not, I, I'm calming and quieting my soul like a well-weaned child. Like a well-weaned child. Let's talk about the well-weaned child. First, let's just go back to, um, to the spirit, soul, and body. So if I'm a spirit being... And those who worship me will worship in spirit and in truth. How do I commune with God? How do I talk with God? How do I hear God? Do I hear him in my emotions? What, what area of my life do I need to tune into to hear God? In what? In the spirit realm. I, I have to. And, you know, this is, we live in the natural realm. And so many of us are moved and we're uprooted and, and we are, um, disquieted by circumstances and things that happen in the natural realm. But we need to understand that we are spirit beings. I, I am careful 
to tap in to that spirit realm, to, to tap into that, that place in my spirit where I can hear from God. But if, if listen to me, Linda, is happening, and I am having a back and forth with my emotions, and I'm empowering and listening to those emotions, there is so much static that I can't, there can't be two gods on the throne at once. And we have got to deny the flesh and empower the spirit. And so that's a choice to quiet the soul, to push those emotions down, to discipline ourselves to say, just because I'm feeling this, I'm feeling ticked off right now, I'm feeling irritable right now, I'm feeling testy right now, just because I'm feeling it doesn't mean I have to empower it. Because the same power that raised Christ from the dead is living within me. That's what should be empowering my life. You say, well, Rhea, you don't know. I'm Italian, and, and, and we're just angry people. I, I'm just telling you that the Spirit of God is more powerful than any emotion you could ever feel. But we have to choose to yield to it. But it's kind of like when I was a little girl growing up, we had radios that you had to tune just right. Like you could get a couple different channels if you didn't have it tuned in, so it would be staticky. You couldn't hear clearly. Some of you are in that static mode all the time because you're listening to your emotions and you're trying to listen to God. You're trying to hear God and you're saying, Rhea, I can't hear from God. And it's because you're, listen to me, Linda. You need to hit it in the bump bump. You, you need to push that thing down and, and discipline it this weekend. My grandbabies were home. Can I just tell you how much I love being a grandma? Like, I think it is the best thing in the whole wide world. And I love those little ones like I can't even tell you. And we were at my father-in-law's gravesite, and we were all circled around his grave just praying and, and having some sharing time. And, and it was, my brother-in-law said, let's just really have just a few minutes of, of silence. <laughs> Alton good was there and <laughs> and he'd had grandma's attention all weekend and papa's attention all weekend and all his aunts and uncles attention all weekend and silence was a little much for him and so he wanted to be front and center during that time of silence and he trucks right up to the grave in the middle of all this circle and he just starts like throwing himself down and he, he wants attention and my son Tyler came and whipped him up and I saw him walk over under a tree and I could see the look on his daddy's face that he was getting a stern talking to and a few minutes later they came back to the gravesite. <laughs> Alton was right by his side, didn't move and didn't say a peep. See? Some of you, your emotions want to be front and center. God wants to lead you into a place of stillness, into a place of quiet, into a place of calm in him. And yet your emotions have run your life for so long that they want to be front and center. They want all the attention. And you got to do what my son did and scoop them up and give them a stern talking to. You got to talk to your soul you got to discipline it and push it back down. I have calmed my soul, and it's like a well-weaned child. Like a well-weaned child. The word weaned there is, is very interesting. <laughs> have you ever seen a, an unweaned child? A, a newborn baby. 
a hungry infant who, who's fussing on its, its mama's lap, who's demanding to be fed, who's, who's self-centered, who's restless because it wants to be fed, it wants attention, it wants its needs satisfied. And, and, and the infant has this thing called a rooting reflex. How many of you have ever heard of a rooting reflex? A, a rooting reflex, it starts when the, the corner of the baby's mouth is touched by any type of flesh. So your finger a breast, uh, and, and what happens is God created it that way so that when the breast touches that infant's mouth, they'll immediately turn towards the source. Are you with me? This helps the baby find the, the breast or the bottle and start feeding. It's a primitive reflex. The baby feels that flesh and turns their face towards it. <laughs> but if the baby doesn't get immediate attention and satisfaction, he fusses and he frets. If mom doesn't deliver, he won't be happy, and there'll be noise to prove it. And it's because the baby is not able to communicate any other way. That, that primitive reflex leaves at about four months when they learn that the mother's there and she'll provide for them. And then when a baby is weaned, the baby doesn't even need the breasts anymore. It has learned that it can just sit with mom. It doesn't have to place demands on her. It can trust her that when, she, when it needs fed, the food will be there, that mom will provide. And it doesn't have to be preoccupied with its needs because it understands that it has a mama who's preoccupied with it. Oh, can I just tell you that that is some of you. Some of you are spiritual infants, and you have that rooting reflex that you just want flesh, that any flesh looks appealing to you. You just want to be satisfied. You want to be satiated. You want your needs met. And even if it looks like a man at work that you're cheating on your husband with, you'll do it because it looks like it's going to meet a need, but it's a lie from the pit of hell and you have empowered your emotions instead of empowering the Spirit of God. And the Bible says that we need to grow up and mature to leave the elementary things of God and press on to maturity. And we do that through the sanctification process. We do that by yielding, by activating the Spirit of God in us, by tapping into that. And then flesh isn't appealing to us anymore. And then we, we calm our soul. Like a well-weaned child, I don't need to fuss and fret. I don't need to worry about my needs getting met anymore. I don't need to demand attention, God. I don't need to demand that my life is perfect, that there isn't any pain. I don't need to be cheated, treated like a child, God, because he wants us to grow up to maturity. He wants us to learn to trust and rely on him. He invites us into a place of rest in him. And that happens when, like the well-weaned child, you recognize that you don't need to be preoccupied with your so-called needs. You don't need to be preoccupied with your pain. You don't need to be preoccupied with everything, you, all the concerns and all the worries that you have because you have a father who is preoccupied with you. And he wants to meet every need you have according to his riches and glory. David says, surely I have calmed and quieted my soul like a well-weaned child with his mother. An unweaned child uh, is very selfish and self-centered. They're laying at their mother's bosom for, for, for no reason but want. And it's a picture of us and how sometimes we come to God with no reason but want. He wants us. I, I was watching Mason. I don't know if you saw this. My other grandson, I, I was watching him. I was so impressed with their, I, I sent my kids a text uh, after they left. And I said, you, you're wonderful parents. I just want to affirm you in it. And 
these boys are well-disciplined. But I watched Mason during the time of silence, during the hour around the grave when everybody was talking, and he just sat, did he not? Stood quietly by his mom and dad, did not make one peep the entire time because he was contented to be with them. He knew that when they left there, he would get the attention he needed, and he didn't need to demand attention. That's what God wants. He wants us to understand that we can be at such rest with him, that in his presence there is fullness of joy, that we have everything we need, that he is concerned with what concerns us. And, and all he wants from us is that relationship. It's an invitation into relationship. To be content with him. To be content with him. Spurgeon says about the weaned child, he is no longer angry with his mother, but buries his head in the very bosom after which he has pined so grievously. He is weaned on his mother rather than from her. The weaned child, his mother, is his comfort, though she has denied him comfort. It is a blessed mark of growth out of spiritual infancy when we can forego the joys which once appeared to be essential and find our solace in him who denies them to us. That's a spark there. Then we behave manfully, and every childish complaint is hushed. If the Lord, hear this, if the Lord removes our dearest delight, we bow to his will without a murmuring thought. In fact, we find a delight in giving up our delight. This is no spontaneous fruit of nature, but a well-tended product of divine grace. It grows out of humility, out of lowliness. It is the stem upon which peace blooms as a fair flower. It is the life that says, I don't know why these things are happening, and I don't even need to know. I'm not concerning myself with it. I'm trusting you, Lord. I'm trusting God and who he is and what he's done, and I'm going to stop trying to concern myself with those things, and I'm going to live contented in his presence. Um, David comes before the Lord and announces, my soul is quieted, it is contented in you. It is contented in you. We need to learn to discipline our soul. Um, one pastor says to be disciplined is to do the right thing when you feel like doing the wrong thing. What does that look like in closing? That looks like when I want to have a fit, I'm going to choose to do the right thing and respond in kindness. When I want to lash out in anger, I'm going to do the right thing and respond with a gentle spirit. When I want to keep a record of your wrongs and not forgive you, I'm going to do the right thing, and I'm going to discipline myself to walk in forgiveness towards you. Give me some more. <laughs> what do you struggle with? When I want to go to bed with depression and despair, I'm going to say, Lord, you're the lifter of my head and that you're going to give me joy that's unspeakable and I'm trusting you to do this. It is disciplining ourselves and quieting our soul. We have a responsibility. I was driving this weekend. was extremely stressful. I, I'm teaching again tomorrow morning. I was teaching tonight. I talked Friday. I, I, I have a lot on my plate. It was my father-in-law's memorial all of my kids, all seven of my kids and their spouses and my grandchildren were in and staying with me, and I, I was a little stressed. And I was driving to church on Sunday morning, and I was late for church, and we had a leak in our bathroom, came through our kitchen ceiling. <laughs> if, it, if it wasn't, yeah, 
Yeah, and then Kendall's car stopped where I mean it was if it was it'd be hilarious if it wasn't just the enemy of my soul. So I'm driving to church and I'm saying to the Lord, I was studying this passage and I'm saying, Lord, I need you to quiet and calm my soul. I, I thank you, Lord, that you're quieting and comfort comforting my soul. I thank you, Lord, that you're gonna quiet my soul. I need you to quiet my soul, Lord. And I heard the still small voice within me say, Look up the scripture, Rhea. Surely I have quieted and calmed my soul. He said, Rhea, you need to choose to do that. I will empower you. I will give you the power to do it, but you have to yield to my spirit. You have a choice, Rhea. Will you live in peace or will you live disquieted? So in closing, Charles Spurgeon says that Psalm 131 is one of the shortest psalms to read but the longest to learn, and I love that. Wilson says that this composure that Psalm 131 talks about is learned. And it's learned in relationship. I'm telling you, I am in relationship with this man. I know just the look on his face. He can be across the room and, and I can see him talking to somebody and I know what he's thinking. He can give me a glance across the room and, and I'm with him. I, I know what he's, I can tell you before he makes a decision what he's going to do. I, I, I know this man because I'm in relationship with him. I, I love him. I love everything about him. Composure, contentment. What, what Dave and I fought about 20 years ago, we would never fight about today. It is not important anymore. I've learned contentment with him. I'm not trying to change him anymore. I, I, I'm content with him. I, 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 don't, I don't need him to change for me to love him. And, and, it is, and he doesn't need me to change to love me. That we're content with each other. That, that we, we don't always understand each other, but we will yield to one another. That's the relationship Christ wants to have with us. He wants us to be so in love with him so in love with his word that we know the right thing to do because we've studied it, we've learned of him. My yoke is easy, my burden. Come and learn of me, he says. Get under my yoke because it's easy and my burden is light. Let me teach you. He teaches us through his word. And when we yield to his word, it, it calms our soul. It disquiets, it, it, it stills the disquieting within us. Do, do you see that? So it's learned in relationship. It's, it's such purposeful quiet, Paulson says, is achieved. It's not spontaneous. It is conscious, alert, and chosen. It's a form of self-mastery by the grace of God. Surely I have composed and quieted my soul. And it happens in living with relationship with someone else. Can you get to this quieted place here now in your actual life? Yes, this psalm is from a man who leads you by the hand. The last sentence of the psalm stops talking with God and talks to you. Israel, your hope is in God. So can I ask you a question? Are you sitting here tonight with a quiet soul or is it disquieted within you? I want you to know there's a place of rest, a place of quiet, a place of calm available to us in God. Notice this starts out with, O oh Lord. The first step is humbling ourselves and being, not being full of pride or it being about self, but yielding and acknowledging his lordship. To stop, 
playing God, to understand there are some things in life that are too lofty for us, some things that don't make sense, but we invite God to help us quiet our soul and find rest in him. One last verse before I close. My daughter, um, Brooke, called me today, and she said, Mama, what are you teaching on tonight? And I was telling her about it, and she said, I just read a scripture that I loved and I memorized, and she said, let me share it with you. It was Jeremiah 6.16. She said, this is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. The ancient paths are God's ways, the ways of God, the way he blesses. Ask for the ancient paths past and ask where the good way is. So in other words, we come to a crossroad in our life where we can go one way or the other. We can empower the spirit or we can empower the soul. Ask where the good way is. Which way is God's way? And take that path. And then, and then it says, and walk in it. And here's the promise. You will find rest for your souls. But you said, we will not walk in it. So you come to a crossroads this week where you can give in to the anger, the hatred, the unforgiveness, the impatience, the bitterness, the jealousy. And you can take that path if you want. Or you can ask the Lord, where's the good way? What do you want me to do with this? Give me a word in due season. Give, direct me in your word. And you can take his ways. And you can find rest for your souls. But that scripture ends with, but they would not have it. So don't fall in that camp this week. I promise you, his ways are the way to life. We have to be purposeful to calm and to quiet our souls.